0: Welcome to the HR Futures Podcast, brought to you by Expedite HR, the organization behind Working Futures, the event for HR directors, and the new mobile application, Circal, the only app dedicated to developing and improving the HR profession. This podcast is also brought to you in association with Zealous, the market-leading provider of payroll, HR, and managed services. So, with me today is uh, Steve Moore, who's currently the HR director at C B R E, but previously to that, uh, HR director at Lab Books, um, uh, British Gas, and Virgin Media. So, welcome.
1: Thank, Thank you for you. joining us. Pleasure. Um,
0: do you want to just tell tell us a little bit about uh, the role you're currently doing, the organisation, perhaps some of the challenges, the things that you, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: you know, keep you awake at night.
1: Sure, yeah. So uh, I joined uh, CPRE at the end of last summer. I'm interim there, uh, looking after the uh, FM business uh, across the EMEA region. So i got a big HR team spread all across that region, 40 countries, 20,000, over 20,000 employees. uh, And there's a huge amount going on. And... and, uh, we, we talk a lot in the business about the challenges that we've got, but but actually uh, a lot of other businesses would give the right arm to have the challenges that we've got. Okay. Because a lot of them are linked to uh, the rate of growth in the business, which is just phenomenal.
0: Okay. So, uh, FM facilities management. So... You know, the types of jobs I would imagine are people on site, security, looking after heating and ventilation systems, that sort of stuff. Do you you broaden out into the broader sort of, um, you know, food and stuff like that, or is it just building it, It's more about
1: looking after the buildings and the infrastructure and the sorts of services that you mentioned there. We tend to try and subcontract soft FM services to, okay. to other businesses. So food, uh, you know, catering services, cleaning, those sorts of things. Okay. We, we rarely self-deliver those.
0: Okay. And the challenges for the organisation at the moment? Dealing with a rate of growth, nice problem to have. What does that throw up from an HR perspective? Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. So uh, so uh, a number of things, but, but probably uh, having a robust pipeline of talent uh, into a sector that isn't always seen as the most glamorous, so we're looking for people to to lead uh, all sorts of sizes of business with a broad range of general management skills. We grow a lot of those folks from within, uh, but uh, our rate of growth just means that we also have to uh, be in the market and looking for talent from outside and we're also mobilising uh, new contracts at a tremendous rate. So in UK terms, we're to transferring lots of people into our organisation uh, with, with the rigmarole and the process and the cultural yep. and the integration things that go with it and, and doing the same sort of thing across most of the MEM app where sometimes the, sp- the specific rules of engagement might be a little bit different but the broad sure. principles are, are, are much the same in a lot of those uh, countries. And
0: why, why such a rapid... Growth, you know, the ability to win those sort of contracts that I, ma- I imagine, this is my, you know, uh, uninformed view, yeah. most probably margins quite tight in a very competitive industry, I would imagine. So, so why, yes. why is CBRE being yeah. so successful?
1: Uh, I think uh, for a number of reasons, I think we've got a good record of delivery. For clients and there's quite a lot of referral I think we've got a senior team who've been in this sector for a long time they've got you know very big networks and good relationships and those sorts of things uh, and uh, you know we're we're I think we're commercially sharp um, but we don't want business at any price so uh it, it's not the highest of margin sectors that's absolutely right but uh, but i think we're we're keenly priced while saying, look we think we're the best at what we do." Uh, and if you want us, you know, there comes a point where we say that this is the price and it's the best one we're going to offer you. Um, but we've certainly won, you know, rather more than we've lost over the last couple of years, hence the growth.
0: Fantastic. And, and in terms of what you've done previously, because I think, you, you know, the, you've been in some large organisations. I don't, you know, British Gas, Virgin Media uh, uh, and, and Sharp as well. I know that was an only an interim period. So tell us a little bit about your Take on HR in different sectors, and what's the
1: same and what's different. I think I, I tend to reflect that, that there are more more similarities and there are differences, and so you know I think if I look at the organisations that I've worked for, I would say that they're they're all commercial, uh, um, they're all demanding uh, of their people in general and yeah, of yeah. their HR functions. Um, they uh, pretty much have all expected HR to be at the top table and to be contributing uh, in decision making and be contributing sure. beyond the sort of functional remit um, they all want to make that 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 perfect mix of kind of operational delivery with strategic thinking or strategic insight yep. and so on um, and they've all they 've all really had a sense of you know what's what 's the value of a pound none of those organizations have been profligate wasteful some of them have been very low margin others less so but but yeah. they 've all been kind of conscious of that. Few, a few differences, I think, you know, um, the nature of the employee relations environment, the kind of cultural environment, whether whether the, those businesses have been unionised in any significant sure. way or not, those things have varied depending on, on where I've been. Um, I think their commitment to to developing internal talent has varied. So CBRE, where I am right now, uh, is is one of the leading businesses for doing that from what I've seen and Mm. really invests uh, and really relies heavily upon its internal uh, talent pipeline. Other organisations have sometimes been a bit more ready to go to the market uh, and relied more heavily on, on finding people externally. And then I think there's something about where they are in a business cycle, and as, as I mentioned, CBRE is growing so fast it creates its own set of problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but we'd all like those, wouldn't we? Uh, some of the other businesses have been going through big merger or big transformation, or just been really struggling. Uh, and the interim role at Sharp that Charlotte, you mentioned, that was and was there to help them divest a, a loss-making okay. European business.
0: So um, it sort of sounds like an interview question, but where do you work best? You know, when you're looking. At up roles because you've had quite a lot of senior different roles uh, some permanent some interim you know what's the bits that get you out of bed that get you feeling well this is this is going to be interesting this is you know this is going to be a challenge this is going to be you know you know it gets your juices flowing
1: what sort of gigs are they so I mean, I like uh, so. I tend to be in businesses that have got you know uh, large and diverse workforces, diverse in terms of types of job and types of skill set, yeah. and background, and so on. I've, I've never worked in a professional services firm. I've always worked in fairly big industrial environments. Uh, I quite like the industrial relations aspect, and, and, and through parts okay. of my career, I've been uh, in those sorts of environments. And that's not for everybody in HR, and I, I'm, I'm acutely aware of that. But I think the thing that, that, you know, putting aside those factors, the, the thing that really fires me up is, uh, am I doing things, am I accountable for things that I can really tell matter to the business? And as the function that I'm part of or that I'm leading, feeling like it's making a, a, a difference. And to take a, a fairly recent example, uh, when I went to, I went into Coral initially, and then we merged uh, okay. about 18 months later uh, with Ladbrokes and... Um, uh, both the work that I was doing in the pre-merger, before merger was even on this uh, on the scene, and indeed then the work to prepare for merger and then integration, it was so clearly front and center for what mattered to the organisation yeah. that that creates its own energy and its own buzz. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you really think, well, I'm involved in something that matters to a lot of my colleagues here, and you're not, you're never feeling like you're pushing an HR agenda. No. They're, they're they're crying out for the support and the leadership.
0: And so, uh, and just use let's use that example. So what so what was it? Uh, Uh, at Labrook's or at Coral, but, you know, what was you doing from an HR perspective that the business was crying out for and saying, give us some more of this, help us with this, this is, you know, you know, because again, one of the things that I I think HR often struggles with is the alignment of great HR to business requirement, you know, and sometimes it's there and other times it's not. So tell us a little bit about your time there, because that...
1: So, so the early stages in Gallicoral, the business had been in private ownership, three three cycles of private ownership over 15 plus years. Yeah. The existing owners, when I went in, had been the owners for four or five years. They'd taken a lot of cost out of the business. They'd re-established profitability, but there were knock-on impacts of that uh, and some unintended consequences. So uh, one of those was, uh, you know, we had very, very... Uh, rigid rostering in our big retail estate, nearly two thousand betting shops all over the country. Yeah. We had very fixed um, uh, patterns of work. We weren't giving people who wanted full time work enough work. We were asking people who wanted part time work to do more than they wanted to commit to in the base case. Uh, our engagement scores were poor. Our churn was high. So you know that was probably the biggest thing that yeah, faced yeah, me yeah, as yeah, I went yeah. in, and therefore building plans to address those things and saying okay, without without giving away the efficiencies that have driven us towards this point what are the changes we can make because yeah. actually the the harder to establish downside cost of of high churn poor customer service etc yeah. you know we know that's of some value and actually intuitively i was working with leaders who who bought into that and didn't really need, you know, super detailed analysis yeah. to, to 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 believe in it? And then that sort of morphed a year later. So that morphed into work that was all about preparing for merger. What would the business look like? How would we bring together two senior teams? How would we how would we select? How would we do some restructuring, knowing that yeah, yeah. you know two head offices into one, and all the things that tend to happen when you merge two organisations that that frankly were. Very, very similar in size scale operations and so on. So so some of that was a big heavy lift and and the organisation needed HR leadership on that.
0: Cool. Okay, so tell us, let's go right the way back then. So how did did you get into HR? So was it a conscious choice? Was it something that you thought, you know, there's something in this that I quite fancy? Or did you, you know, did you fall into it and then say, actually, this, this sort of suits me. I quite like some of this stuff. I'm always interested in people... How they start you know how do we get into this great profession of ours
1: so i uh, I, I went to university in Manchester, did a business degree in uh, in, in, in Umist, which has now been folded yeah. into the, the wider manchester university, uh, and uh, as part of that, there was a, in the second and third year a great range of uh, of options of what types of subjects to follow and i and I picked quite a few that were in the broad arena of HR some that were marketing and And the odd quirky thing didn't sort of fit with either of those, but really enjoyed a lot of the HR things, did some employment law, did quite a lot of uh, industrial relations and so on. So that kind of fired up the interest. And when I was looking for uh, uh, jobs as I was leaving university... Uh, I I, uh, I mainly applied for uh, HR roles. So in that sense, I guess I was quite deliberate and, and made a fairly conscious choice as I was coming out of university. That was probably where I wanted to go. And uh, but 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 you know, eight or, eight or nine years earlier, had had been really interested in becoming a lawyer. So and what changed point, in it? You know, what changed in well, that eight-year period? Well, I, I, as I went off to university, I remember my my, my parents saying to me, "You know, that's, that's hard work and endless study, and you won't make any money for a while being a lawyer." And uh, and I kind of took that pretty much at face value, um, but but with hindsight, the, the 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 need to be quite bookish and sort of really you know get into that consistently uh, probably didn't play to my strengths entirely. So it was probably good advice to uh, okay yeah enjoy some aspects of the law without. Being and then fully where ready. did you
0: start really early? What was your first sort of HR job? Uh, Exxon. Uh, oh, well,
1: e- gas. Okay. Uh, e- e- Exxon. So uh, yeah, Esso Petroleum, uh, the UK business and uh, joined their graduate program uh, when I came out of, you know, I did a sabbatical year doing something completely different and then went to Exxon a year later uh, and spent my first seven years with them. So terrific uh, um, training ground and great opportunities and a a really well-run business with lots of talented people. So, you know, hard to imagine a better place to start.
0: No, absolutely. So one of the things I'm always interested in is sort of, you, know, you when you look back at your career uh, and you you sort of recognise something you really did well, you know, where you created value, where you perhaps changed people's lives or, you know, can you think of some stuff that you've done which you're really proud of that might be worth sharing with other people that are interested? I think lots of people that listen to this podcast are going to be people mid-career, I suspect, that are going, you know, I love this stuff, but... You know, I want to listen to some some leaders and people have been there and done it. So yeah. tell us about something that was a great success and why it was a great success.
1: Well, uh, I, uh, I was in the manufacturing business uh, about halfway through my, my uh, career to date and, and walked into something that, that, that seemed to be a little bit in crisis and, and not brilliantly thought through. So, um, again, there was a positive backdrop. Uh, In as much as the business was growing, it was investing. It was building a brand new uh, brownfield manufacturing site. Uh, But the existing site was in Hemel Hempstead. The new site was 15 miles away in the Buckinghamshire countryside. And um, a a lot of people had worked there for a long, long time. It was heavily unionized. And the management team before I got there had um, sort of tacitly accepted uh, that anybody who wanted to leave with a redundancy package could have that. Uh, And and I arrived and said... uh, Okay, so her, with our her full order book uh, with companies like Boeing and Airbus that goes way out into yeah, the future over 10, 15 years, what are we doing from a talent point of view to make sure that we can deliver on that if half the people walk out with a redundancy check and uh, nobody really had an answer to that and, and I really had to build a plan to address that. Yeah. Uh, and give that management team confidence that that legally we could go on that path, and to be honest, the legals were secondary, and the biggest challenge was trying to bring the trade unions on side because yeah, yeah, yeah. you know taking this different stance uh, made made us the management team and, and me the the, uh, the the guy who was at the center of it all, uh, very unpopular, so they understood that you know mm-hmm. we, had to, we had to have a viable business, we had to retain talent, we had to grow. Yeah, but so how, so their members did, were clamoring yeah, yeah. for something else.
0: And how, how did you do that though, though? So, people had in their mind, they were going, yeah. Well, I'm staying or I'm going. But the ones yeah. that were potentially going, they were going, Well, this is going to be quite interesting. I'm going to get a bit of thinking. Yeah. I can go off and do something else. And you go, Ah, we're going to think again. We might do this differently. Um, how did you sort of go through that process of yeah. trying to take as many of them with you as you can? Because you, you know, it's not the great start to a new environment yeah. to have, you know, drag off the workforce who are quite, not quite into the culture and what you're trying to do.
1: No, indeed. No, and it was an even more difficult start point just because it had been mm. acknowledged that probably people would be allowed to leave if they wanted to with with, with, with a nice cheque. So so that was tough. So there was the part that was about, you know, the business and sustaining the business and creating employment and actually making sure our business was viable for all the people that chose to stay yeah. and not having it end up on its knees. So that sort of slightly collective yes. thing of, of, you know, who the union were representing. Yeah in terms of the workforce. Um, There was absolutely plenty to be made about what a great new facility we were moving to, which was terrific, and and it was. uh, Far, far better than the site that obviously we were were leaving behind. Um, But some practical things about how do I get there, I've always walked or cycled to work, etc., etc. And I think the the, the, the last part of it was really about putting a process in place that given that overall, it wasn't the most popular thing that had ever happened, uh, I, I had to make that process uh be fair and look and feel fair uh and and, and so i put a process in place whereby individuals could come and say i don't think it's reasonable that i have to move to the new site and here's why but there was no collective you know opportunity okay. for everyone to just have vr if that's what we wanted
0: okay and and how did you do with the unions because they most probably were uh a bit difficult to put it mildly i suspect they they were,
1: they were. And, and I was dealing both with people who were local and employed by us yeah, yeah. and stewards on site as well as regional uh, FTOs and, uh, and so on. And um, look, everybody kind of got it. You know. Nobody, no, nobody said this makes no business sense. Uh, but um, you know, people are elected to represent their members yeah, yeah. and to try and look after their members' interest. And if one or several of the people you represent says, all I want is a cheque, get me a cheque. And the management of the company is saying that's not going to happen and here's why. Yeah. It, it's inevitably not 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 popular. So it did take a lot of time and investment. Nobody ever got to the point of being happy with it. Uh, there were periods where I walked out uh, at the end of a day and worried what sort of state my car would be in in the car park. Um, mm. But I think there was some respect for um, what we were trying to achieve and why this was important, even if it was, for some people, uh, deeply unpopular.
0: Yeah. And and let's go to the uh, the flip side of that question. You know, is there things that you look back on your career and go, if I'm a time again, I might not do it that way. You know, it's not so much the failure as actually learning. You know, I I think that one of the great problems with HR is we don't experiment. We don't innovate. We don't try stuff and go, well, that didn't work. Let's try something else. You know, we we sort of set in ways of doing stuff. So, you know, I'm always interested in people that can reflect and go, well, I did this, but... It didn't quite work, and I'd do it different if I was doing it again today. Uh,
1: well, one of the things I said earlier was that, that I got a lot of energy and, and felt that I and my team would be great, adding greatest value when you're doing something that the business is really engaged in, yeah. uh, really committed to, needs help, needs leadership, etc. And uh, and the area of performance management tends to be one of those uh, that, that is not very popular with anybody, in my experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so one of the things that I certainly have found tough is... is Having a real sense of what it is we want to do or change in that area, because I don't have a massively strong no. view about it. I'm not trying to deliver something very specific, but I think the learning for me was in an, uh, an organisation a few years ago, faced with the our, our performance management is in some disarray. We could do with kind of sure. refreshing or rejuvenating this. Uh, I um, I, I probably was too consultative. Which, in some ways feels a, a a terrible thing to say, but but actually, <laughs> I probably just asked for too many opinions, got too many people involved, you know, went on a big stakeholder expedition, and of course, there' was very little alignment about what we what people wanted. Do they want kind of something quite forced and rigid with distributions or not? How many levels of rating, what what labels do we use? how do we formalize it once or twice a year or some other thing? you know it was just everyone had a view nobody liked any sort of form of the answer so with with hindsight you know I'd probably lock myself in a room for two days and just design it o- on my own yeah. so uh, that, that was hard work
0: yeah I, I, and I think you're right I mean I think there's a huge debate at the moment around performance management you know on one extreme people say we're just going to take it out and we want informal spontaneous conversations and other people still sticking to you know let's do a forced distribution and Rank people and do leveling meetings and all of that. You know, I mean, where are you? What do you, you know, I, uh, what's your view on the right approach to performance management? Are there, you know, do you have some principles that you, that you think well, for this type of organization, you know, you need to do? Because you know, again, a bit of a long question, but I, I, I always think, you know, when we talk to HR professionals about performance management, sometimes you get this view, which is, well, if we don't have anything in there, they won't ever do it. I'm not convinced of that, but... So just tell us your views about performance management, you know. <laughs> well, I think... The good, yeah, the bad, I'm, the indifferent, perhaps. I am
1: probably a little bit sceptical and probably do feel a bit like if we don't have something a bit formal, then then nothing might happen at all in, in some areas. Uh, and I think you've got to look at big questions like, how, you know, how rigorously do you do you attach it to your compensation planning processes yeah, yeah, yeah. or not, you know? So do you need something that helps drive it and do you need some sense of, um, you know, fairness and and calibration around yep, outcomes absolutely. and all of those sorts of things? Um, uh, there's been obviously a move in recent years to something that's more flexible, something that's more nimble, something that has got less of a, an annual or a, or a twice a year feeling to it. I think some of those things probably work particularly well in... Uh, fluid environments like big consulting firms where the people yeah. you're working with or for project to project will vary yeah. and I've got some friends and, and ex-colleagues who work in those environments and I can see why that would work well there yeah. I find it harder to apply that into the sorts of businesses that that, that I've been part of I'm a big supporter of meritocracies uh, and have tended to sort of rail against things where I don't think there's enough differentiation and people shy away from those and often uh, having a slightly... Um, you know, cumbersome but, yeah. but necessary set of tools around performance management will help drive that forward. So so on balance, I'd have something, uh, uh, I'd make people accountable, uh, but I recognise there are pitfalls and there's no brilliant system. <laughs>
0: there's no ideal, is there? <laughs> Not really. Um, so uh, perhaps tell us about um, uh, some of your ideas around HR, managing major projects you know whether they lead change programs whether they have the right skill and capability to lead organizational transformations because i think if you look at the environment we're currently operating in more disruption more change you know the world around us consumers driving more workforces having different aspirations there's no doubt there's going to be more organizations having to adapt to the environment they work in you know What's HR's role in change management and leading sort of strategic uh, transformations?
1: So I think the function's got a big role to play, but my experience of these things, of big change, big transformation in organisations is um, y- y- you need everybody on the pitch or you need most people on the pitch. Uh, and exactly the role that HR's playing, it might be playing a very leading role within yeah. that or a more supporting role, but but we tend as a function not to have either all of the answers uh, or, or indeed uh, interest in donorship and experience of all of the things that need, need to be addressed. So... Uh, i I think it, um, it it depends on the situation if I think about you know big m and a activities um, did I and did my team play a key role in bringing together two large yeah. betting companies yeah. F- for sure we did did we play the only key role absolutely not, and were there plenty of other uh, talented yeah. people on the pitch yeah, <laughs> yes, there were. Um, and I think, you know, we bring skills in, in organisational design, uh, in matching managing the change process, uh, in, in the things we have to do both formally and informally yeah. around consultation, giving the employees a voice, uh, stakeholder management, communications and so on. And I like to think as a function that we tend to be better at some devil's advocacy, which I think you need in, 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 in these and other things. But I wouldn't say that as a function we tend to be terribly strong in leading in things like, um, you know, technical and digital I'm not sure I'd go to HR for, you know, uh, cutting-edge insights there. And I'm not sure as a function we're brilliant at project management. Project and program management.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just a great, interesting debating point. I mean, I think, you know, if you think about change in organizations, I think you're right. There are key facets of skill that HR bring to the table. ODs, obviously one, but you know, behavior, cultural definitions, reward structures, all sorts of things. But I think one of the things I'm interested in is whether we should be taking a more active role, a more central role, because if you think about organisations, in reality, the change is predominantly the difficult bit. is the soft bit, isn't it? It's the people bit. you know, the the project management and defining what the technical solution might be. Perhaps I'm a little naive, but I perceive to be perhaps a little easier than, you know, taking a workforce for a transformation, which means they're going to have to do very different jobs in a different way. So. Um, but again I think that the issue is is have we got the you know, the breadth and would we be trusted? I mean it's more to do with positioning HR within an organization really, I think. But you know, is is, is there been times in your career where you've worked with CEOs that really want you to play that strategic role? Want you to challenge them and the board and other times when well, it's seen as a support function. Have you had both experiences? I certainly have.
1: Yeah, absolutely, I have. I, I mean, I, I uh, you know, when we were talking earlier about how different our organisations versus one of the things they've got in common, you know, one of the things I, I said was that, that most of those organisations have valued HR, have wanted uh, key HR people at the top table, wherever you're sitting in yeah. that structure, whether you're an HR business partner supporting a function or a division, or, or you're the overall yeah. boss of the, of, the, of the whole of HR uh so uh I guess I've tended to be quite you know lucky in terms of most of the organizations have wanted that kind of mix of yeah. you know deliver great things as a function, be accountable, be visible, get stuff done. Uh, but also brings some thought leadership, brings some yeah, strategic yeah. thinking, get involved in things that aren't about HR, but you're just contributing to the wider business agenda. And to be honest, uh, you know, I, I'll be much more energized if, if that's part yeah. of my remit than, than if somebody yeah. says, Could you just stick to your HR knitting? I, I'd, I'd get bored faster that way. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose I'm just sort of going on a, a little bit at a tangent, but again, I think one of the, my. Other things about our profession is, is you know, are we really attracting the brightest and the best into HR? You know, so if you look at ours, perhaps early careers, do we get the brightest and the best people? or Do they go off to marketing or sales or operations or finance? Uh, and secondly, how good are we, apart from the sort of fundamental basics of getting, you know, your CIPD and your... Employment law and, you know, some of the fundamentals. Are we good at really developing HR people for the challenges that we see ahead? So two questions in there, Steve. One is how good are we at attracting the right people into HR? And secondly, how good are we at developing people so that they, you know, they're as good as we need them to be?
1: I think we're probably a bit patchy attracting the best people. I think, you know, I'm, I'm going back some way now to talk about coming out of university yeah, 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 and my yeah, yeah. own career decision-making, but but I, I did quite a lot of graduate recruitment in my first uh, few years after that and then have had uh, some involvement from time to time yes. uh, uh, at different mm-hmm. points in my career. And uh, whatever route you're coming in, whether it's out of university or through apprenticeships or, or, or anything else, you know, I think that HR is not always the most visible career, and, and therefore people making conscious choices about it, which might have been behind your earlier question, sometimes people do kind of find their way or fall into the yeah. function. And that probably means that that that, um, that the overall talent is a little bit more diluted than, than it otherwise might be if it was full of people who made really uh, explicit and positive choices uh, to be there. I think that in terms of development, uh, I, I think it's probably quite organisation specific. That's yeah, been my so, experience, some yeah, better yeah. than others. Uh, Exxon where I spent my formative years was great in terms of uh, development but it, but it was development where you had a real job from day one they expected you to deliver and add value from day one and then both through uh, the things that you were doing and getting involved mm. in and the more formal learning programs that ran alongside it, that, that was what really shaped you and, and I still think back to a lot of my experiences from, from the 90s and think that the, a lot of those stand me in, yeah. in, in good stead today. I think as a function we can be a little bit cobbler's children and when I when I'm doing annual reviews in my favourite performance management system. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I and people who work for me quite often reflect upon we've not invested enough of our own time in thinking about our development uh, and we've not been selfish enough while we've obviously been uh, worrying about the wider organisation. Cool, thanks for that. I'm going to take
0: one more question before we take a break, I think.
1: You know, we have lots of tools in our
0: armoury, um, and we have to choose what's the right thing to deploy to give us the most impact. Uh, you know, deliver business results, make it a great place to work within the organisations that we work within. You know, what's your experiences of? You know, or what's your view on how do you define the people strategy and align it to the, the sort of drivers of business performance? And I'm sure you've seen some organisations mm-hmm. that do that well and some that perhaps don't. And what's the difference between the two?
1: And I was once asked in in an interview about about whether I sort of came with a ready-made plan, as it were, you know, irrespective of the context, the organisation, the sector, you know, is this, this is what HR will look like for you? And I I probably looked at the the interviewer slightly quizzically and said, well, no, not really, Um, because I think these things do have to be context-specific. You have to understand what's going on, what are the drivers, and, and if you don't spend some of your time always in listening mode but in particular in your early days and weeks and months in listening mode then, then you're not likely to be building an HR strategy that's going to be as aligned as it needs to be to what the business is trying to achieve and to take Gallicoral uh, a few years ago. Uh, uh, I mean, I actually went in there and was told we've got a recruitment problem, and then through a number of kind of discussions and a bit of digging, figured out we had an attrition problem, and we had a uh, types of contracts of a pro- uh, contracts of employment problem, yeah. and we had an engagement problem, and and those things together were almost certainly driving a customer service problem, and uh, and therefore started to build some interventions and some strategies. To address those things, while at the same time saying, "Yeah, you're right. We do need a new ATS. We do need to spend some money, and we do need to go through a difficult, you know, project process of putting that into place." Um, but but how good the ATS was was not the number one question in town, and it wasn't front and center of the HR strategy that that I spent my first few months trying to develop.
0: And let's go back to that point about you know developing capability. You know, is it a, a nature or nurture thing? So did you just develop? You have an intuition for Digging around and diagnosing business issues, and looking at HR, and and then developing strategies, or is it something that you were, uh, you learnt, you observed, you were taught, you had a mentor, someone showed you know that? Because I think the I think it's a gap. I really have a feeling that there's a fundamental weakness there within our profession.
1: I think there's I think there's a whole raft of things that come into that. So uh, I think part of it's about confidence. Part of it's actually about getting to know the business well enough to then ask business questions that have people and HR consequences Absolutely. and then thinking about what to do uh, as a result of that uh, and um, uh, you know part of it's about taking an interest and getting involved so you know there were people in Gala Corral who said "Come, we can't believe you go out and spend a day in, in, in a bunch of our shops and go around with a retail area director uh, and I said well how else am I going to understand what it's like to be on the front line to be dealing with our customers and so on I've got to have some semblance of, of being in touch with that so you know, where does that come from? And I mentioned confidence, but 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 some of it's also about formal learning around that. So, again, early in my career, I remember going on a, a two or three day uh, consulting skills workshop. And this was kind of, you know, quite, you know, the vogue thing mm-hmm. in, in HR. But how do we as a function act as internal consultants? And, and probably things like that were partly in my DNA and probably in quite a lot of people's DNA uh, uh, augmented by a program like that that yeah. almost then said here's some skills and tools but also here's almost giving you permission you know this is what we expect of yes. you as an individual of you as a function so I do think that's an important uh, an important role and, and I've always liked to think I'm a bit you know a bit of an agent provocateur in uh, in any business that I've been in
0: Any sort of mentors along the way where there people that you can sort of look back on, and go I learned tons from that individual you yeah. know <laughs> Because I mean, I think in my career, there was two or three people that sort of helped me, yeah. you know, develop my thinking, build my confidence, got me to believe in, you know, perhaps holding up the mirror a bit more than I would have done at that stage.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so certainly two or three very early on. So, so I had some really talented, capable uh, bosses or other senior yeah. people in the in the HR fraternity in, 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 in Exxon uh, and kind of you know, I was involved in some really interesting industrial relations challenges I made one or two people who had real depth in that area. I also had a real enthusiasm for it. So that was almost a perfect kind of learning uh, and being mentored environment, which which, which was terrific. Uh, I worked for a guy who had the most amazing ability to deploy great metaphors and analogies at at no notice at all, which uh, (laughs) uh, 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 appealed to me greatly. And I try and do a a bit of that myself. And then and then actually, probably after some years of getting very little feedback, you know, because we get into yeah, those yeah. cycles of, you know, you're at a point in your career where it, it, it sort of stops happening so much. Yeah, they expect it? you to know all the answers, don't they? Absolutely. But, but, I, had, but I had a boss, a boss more recently who, who gave me a couple of really good pieces of feedback after only working with me for four or five months that, that actually felt more helpful and insightful uh, than, than probably anything I'd heard in five or ten years and caused me to sort of reflect, which was which was great. Mm.
0: Okay, we're going to leave the uh, podcast there for the moment. We'll be back for the second part of the podcast. We're going to explore the future of HR, some of the challenges from technology, and we're going to a little bit, learn a little bit more about Steve, the man, about what he does, what his passions are outside of work. So back in a couple of moments. Are you looking to reduce risks and operating costs? or increase your agility and capacity. There's more pressure than ever for HR and finance to provide strategic value for the business and for CEOs. At Zelis, our expert team creates software and managed services that handle your entire payroll and HR admin processes. We believe there are two sides to the employee experience, the fundamentals that need to go unnoticed and experiences that employees really care about. And we can help you master both. We're here to make the complex simple freeing you up to focus on your people and achieve your goals. Find out more at zealous.com. Welcome back to the second part of our HR Futures podcast. With me today is uh, Steve Moore, who's the HR Director of CBRE and previously to that, uh, Labrook's Coral, British Gas, and Virgin Media. Fantastic uh, opening to the podcast where we explored uh, how Steve got into HR, a little bit around some of the jobs, some of the challenges, some of the reflections on uh, how to develop HR strategy. So, Steve, second half of our podcast, tell us a little bit about how HR should make the trade-off, about what's in its plan and what isn't. You know, we've got a lot of tools in our uh, armory, lots of things that we can do. How do you make decisions on what to focus on and what not
1: to focus on? for me a lot of that goes back to, to doing that listening you know what does this business need what are its challenges and, and, and how can we as a function contribute to moving those forward I think there's there's there, there are things that, that, that you might need to put a bit more push behind because we, are, we, we feel like we're custodians as a, fun, a function for some of those things whether that might be about learning and development yeah. or it might be about trying to lift up the diversity and inclusion agenda in an organisation uh, th- those things may not get the level of pull from the organisation that we might sure. want we might do a little bit more pushing, but but on the whole, I would be I'd be developing plans that 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 are really based upon saying right, what are we trying to achieve? Are we growing? Uh, is talent top of the list? Do we need to restructure? Uh, um, you know, do we have attrition problems and so on? And say so, right, what are the things that we as a function can do and lead the business through? to build a strategy that over the next 12, 18, 24 months can, can turn the dial on those things. Uh, as a function, we're often under pressure to try and do you know everything. And, uh, uh, and, and everyone's terribly, terribly busy all the time. And uh, so, so I like to trot out something that I can't claim was mine and I stole it from somebody else. He, he may have stolen it as well. But I hired a marketing director who said, look, we can do anything. We can't do everything. And I think probably as HR function uh, and leaders of HR functions, we, we need to keep sight of that
0: so see. Yeah, it's a good piece of advice so uh what's your view on you know hr's biggest area for development and perhaps what's the opportunity for us to provide more value to make more impact you know you've been in lots of different organizations i'm sure you've got a range of experiences i think it's really useful just to to hold up the mirror to our professional sort of development as such
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, look, every organisation wants people to be doing as much of the stuff that adds value and operating at the level at which they're employed for as much of the time as possible. So I think that there's something both about uh, how we operate as a function to enable that for our people because I've certainly in in, in parts of my career seen people and indeed myself have been doing things that I think, you know, crikey, I shouldn't be doing this, you know we've got too many professionals doing administrative work and those sorts of things so I think we've got something about about continuing to work on that and actually doing things that help enable the same in the wider business and, and things that there might be some organisations that these days take for granted but I've not been in them so so you know Great automation, great systems, great data integrity and reporting, a great employee and manager self-service. If you've got all of those ticked, those are probably enablers for both managers and HR people doing what they should be doing. Yeah. But I think there's still work to be done in some companies. I, I
0: think there's lots of work. I mean, and again, our ability to deploy decent systems, you know, going to organisations, whether it's Workday or SuccessFactors or... Oracle or whatever it is, you know, people sort of are still shaking their heads going, it's still not quite doing what we want it to do and it doesn't do this and it doesn't do that and what you know my my favorite question of HR people is always how many people do you employ and I love it when HR director goes well that's a tough question you know you go well (laughs) we've got a bit of a way to go you know
1: in an organization that should remain nameless we always had a process that said what's the HR number what's the finance number now how do we reconcile that because they they never naturally never naturally matched so I think it's an ongoing uh big challenge and, and uh Yeah, I mean, you know, when we were merging two businesses, we were saying, what's the ERP system going to be and how do we bring this together? And, you know, and and one of those organisations had been through a very challenging implementation. I don't think HR does those things brilliantly. But to be honest, you know, we we need to hold hands with our finance and our our IT or technology colleagues. uh, And together we find that, in my experience, hard, hard work, but getting it done right will enable some of those things I was talking about. No,
0: I think you're really right. I mean, I think, you know, more and more you look at organisations and go, you know, data's going to be hugely important. You know, if we're going to start doing predictive analytics and starting to really look at the data and draw stuff from a range of different sources and think, how does this help us manage our people? Then, you know, you've got a fundamental system that's got the capability to do that. And I think you're right, we don't deploy those things very well. Okay, so we've done a little bit about that. So if some young person was coming to knock on your door and say, look, you know, I'm thinking about a career in HR. I'm thinking about, you know, spending some time doing a HR role, what would your advice be?
1: Yeah. Uh, well there's, I, I, there's there's loads of things that I'd encourage them to do. I mean, first I'd encourage them to get some variety. So don't don't get don't get pitched into one area too soon because HR uh, as a single function has got many different parts to it and, and some people you know love some aspects of it and would never touch other parts of it so get some variety and understand you know what what you can contribute and where your sweet spot is um, you know develop your your core skills and don't don't try and fast forward through that too quickly so you know I, i've been an hr director either a divisional level or a regional level or or, or, or for a you know a, a, the whole of a smaller business for, for a dozen or years or more uh, and I still talk to senior colleagues about thorny ER issues uh, and if I hadn't got the grounding in that earlier in my career I wouldn't have the kind of confidence to sort yeah. of get on the pitch with that so 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 lock those things in early on understand the business you're in I've, I've talked about that at other points in our discussion but, but really understanding what your business is doing and, and what the drivers are and how the function can contribute is important. Um, I think take an interest in the sector that you're in and the wider business environment, yeah, yeah. and just be informed. Uh, however, you choose to do that, there's so many opportunities these days with the range of media. But uh, 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 but 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 do that and keep keep relevant uh, in the broadest sense. Um, keep learning. Don't become a cobbler's child. Keep learning and focusing a little bit selfishly on yourself. And build a network. I think these days networks are as important, if not more so, than they've ever been. You know, you hear the stats all the time about how many people land new jobs through a network rather than through a more traditional process. I think having a relevant network uh, for any HR professional can really add value. Who do you phone up to ask a difficult question of and get some advice from?
0: It's interesting that, because HR people are are quite insular, aren't they? We spend so much time rummaging around in an organisation. We don't spend enough time... You know, looking outside and bringing great ideas and innovation in, but also we're most probably not learning enough from peers in a you know similar type of organisation. Awfully potentially not competitors, but yeah. organisations with similar challenges. Yeah. Why indeed. is that? Do you think? Why is it because we just we just want to fix the machine
1: that we're in? I I think part of it is about the demands that are on you day to day. So to 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 take a bit of time out. Uh, for something that feels like a nice to do or a luxury thing is is, you know we all find that as a difficult choice don't we in in our working lives but I think you've got to and this morning I spent a couple of hours at at an event it was focused on on IR35 and and Mm -hmm. so on it wasn't the most exciting subject but it's important to my organisation you know and it's good to get a perspective beyond just burrowing away yourselves on your own Uh, and I also know there's people I can phone up in my network and say hey listen what are you doing on this in your organization, I'd like to kind of compare some notes in a, in a pretty non competitive, okay. non threatening way. Cool. Um,
0: let's move on just a little bit, really. It's, a, it's about another sort of environmental factor, really, which is, you know, since 2015, when Martin Ford wrote his book about the robots, the rise of the robots, which won McKinsey Book of the Year, there's been, you know, you can't pick up a business paper. Or, Watch a documentary about business where they're not talking about AI and machine learning and automation. Now, some of it's been overblown, and it really will create lots of new jobs. But I think there is a real issue for organisations just trying to get in front of this issue. And I think I'm interested, in, you know, in HR's ability to educate and, and challenge organisations and get in front of that issue, however it plays out. You know, some of it will be finding new talent, new capability it might be retraining it might be a whole host of things so do you want to just tell us your, you know your thinking and whether at cbre there's stuff you're doing around this or in previous organizations where you think i can see that they would they've got a great process for looking at technology and how to apply it and some of the human consequences of that it's
1: a bit scary i feel like you should be asking some futurologist that <laughs> question I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how well equipped i am it's uh, and, I, and I've, I've just finished watching, uh, which some people listening might have seen as well, the BBC show Years and Years, which sort of was set yeah, you know, was five to ten, it? not not very far into the future. No, it wasn't. And it was interesting how some of the technology was very recognizable to stuff that we're doing and using today, like a, a slightly yeah. you know slightly uh, further forward version of an Alexa, yeah. uh, uh, and other things probably were were a little bit more of a reach. But uh, but bringing it back to to you know the business I'm in or, or businesses that I that I have been in. Um, Clearly, things are, are changing through automation. I think for CBRE, the nature of what we do, yeah. uh, and if I think back to somewhere like British Gas, you know, more and more diagnostics equipment to sort of you know figure out what's going on with your yep. boiler, less intervention from a human having to try and figure it out for you. You know, there's a, there's a sort of gradual yeah. shift, but but there there aren't sort of revolutionary changes that I've seen, and and the role of people who are well trained doing a good job. Uh, 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 cl- in client-facing roles, customer-facing roles, you know, remains important, and I don't think we're about to move virtual of CBRE's facilities management delivery into an automated space. But there will be there will be incremental steps, uh, and because actually, you know, even looking some way out into the future, I think we will need people doing key jobs in that space. The questions for us as an organisation come back to things to do with workforce planning. Uh, and saying, okay, what are those skills, and where are they today, and how long will we retain the people we've got? You know, we've got we've got a time bomb. You know, that's demographic time bombs are talked a lot about uh, in in different sectors. But the average age of our engineers is fifty four. So uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that that you know we need some new people coming in to do these jobs, and I do think that these jobs, a lot of them, will uh, exist in some way, shape, or form for, for decades rather than just a few more years. So we're investing in apprenticeships and and, and looking at the future talent and emerging talent because we recognise you know we've got to get in front of the in front of the curve for that, and that's not where the industry is at the moment.
0: Okay, I, I mean I think there are some real challenges. I think just in terms of just trying to understand how it might pragmatically play out and get in front of that in terms of some of the people issues and i mean it depends on organizations and stuff so thank you for that um a bit more about you now uh steve so you, you've been an interim hr director previously but you've obviously been doing this role for um, just under a year but I've probably got a bit more a bit more time to go you know what's good about being an interim and what do you think some of the the downsides are so I mean, I'm interested in that because I think there'll be lots of sort of senior HR people going oh, well I mind doing a bit of that I might next time you know I'm looking for a move I might do an interim role so I, I suppose that's interesting and then you know is that something you want to continue doing you know do you see yourself as a professional interim or are you you know you might go and do a permanent job somewhere or
1: I'd absolutely be up for a permanent job and, uh, and and probably some of the things I've been talking about as, as you and I have been mm. talking this afternoon would suggest the sorts of environments and the types of roles that would, that would appeal to me uh, uh, more. Um, I'm also open to another interim role. Uh, yeah. And those have their strengths. And uh, and I do get energized about learning about new businesses, actually. So, you know, spending 12 or 18 months as an interim, you then get the opportunity to sort of go, right, I'll learn about something else or get involved yeah, in yeah. something else. Um, there are lots of upsides. I think I quite like being fresh eyes and a sort of slightly yeah. independent view on a situation, whether I've yeah, gone yeah, into yeah. somewhere permanently or like I'm a CPRE gone in there for, for, yeah. a, uh, for, for a, a fixed period of time. Uh, and. Um, uh, you know, I like bringing that different perspective and hopefully, you know, encouraging an organization to yeah. maybe do some things differently as a result of things I think have worked well elsewhere or, yeah. or, or things that are transferable. Um there there are there are one or two uh downsides. So if you if you like me you're in the sorts of roles where where actually it might be interim, but they're often very much part of the structure. They're not very project in nature. Yeah. You kind of belong in that organization from a you know yeah. a, how you fit and then it comes down to are you the right person do you have the right cultural fit and so on yeah. but you're not doing a sort of semi-detached piece of project work Sure. Uh, and if you want to then feel like you belong to that organisation then the, the cultural alignment piece will, will, will help and then there's uh, there's the the first few hours of this morning were spent, as I mentioned, at, at a workshop to do with IR35, and there'd be lots of interim HR professionals who might be listening to this thinking, how, how might that change my world? So clearly, I was wearing my yeah. CPRE hat, but I had a second hat on this morning, so I've got some enlightened self-interest in the subject. Okay,
0: uh, thank you for that. So finally then, Steve, tell us a bit about, I don't know, what you do outside of work, your passions, your... You know, apart from being a great HR practitioner, what is it? Is it sport, music, books, family? Might be a combination of all of them. I just, it's always interesting to finish on talking about yeah. things other than HR.
1: Yeah, so I, I I do like a lot of sports, and I follow rugby. I follow football. I'm a Liverpool fan, so I'm uh, very very pleased. With, I'm an Arsenal fan. Are you? It wasn't it, quite a good these are tough the season, times, aren't it
0: they? It wasn't a great end to the season. Well,
1: though. it was it was it was quite an upbeat one for us on the first yeah, of June was. this year, which was terrific. I, I love tennis. I've always played a lot of tennis oh, okay. through most of my life. So, a lot of these days, I, I'm playing sort of gentle doubles tennis. I'm not 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 uh, not as fit as I need to be for anything much more than that. I like to travel. Uh, I, I, I'm married, but we don't have children, so we're we're kind of we're we're pretty flexible Fantastic. in terms of being able to travel and and, and like to do that. Um, my wife's a, a head teacher of a big secondary school, uh, a state secondary school in Surrey. Uh, so uh, uh, we're locked into school holidays, but but otherwise we're 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 kind of free to. To Sounds to explore good. and travel. So we
0: anywhere. What's next on the, the agenda? Well,
1: uh, we we have just celebrated a big wedding anniversary. Okay. So we are uh, we are thinking next spring to go to Japan. Which uh, okay. if we're going to do, we need to pull the finger out and book that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then yeah, a couple of other things that, that keep me out of mischief that aren't that aren't strictly about HR. So I'm a trustee of a uh, of a hospice in Windsor. And uh, we're in the midst of building a brand new facility that, that's costing us 21 million pounds. How did you get
0: involved in that? Uh,
1: at, through British Gas as well as at British okay. Gas about six or seven years ago. And they were looking for somebody with an HR background right. and I live reasonably locally. Went along to meet with them, went through a process and, and, uh, and was appointed. So I chair the HR committee. I sit on a committee that's basically a bit like a REMCO. Yeah, uh, yeah. For for the charity uh, and participate in various other things. So that's that's fascinating and uh, and uh, and very worthwhile. And uh, and the, and then at the more frivolous end of things, I uh, do the odd gig. Uh, I sing in a I sing in a pub band. You're a, a, rock you're band. a singer, are you? Uh, I do. I, I do. So. Uh, yeah, myself and some people who are even older than, than I am uh, get together and, and make a noise from time to time. And how, so, uh,
0: is that something you've done all the way along, or uh, no, into
1: it? I got into it in the last sort of seven or eight years. So I think you know I always fancied myself a bit. <laughs> I, I'm not the mu- musician in my family. Uh, my youngest sister's a professional soprano. Oh, right. uh, So I am just the pub singer. But uh, but it's a bit of fun. It's a bit of. Uh, a bit of relief and do you rehearse uh, and stuff or yeah? Otherwise we'd be even worse than we are. So yeah, <laughs> we, we we have a bash. We we, we do rehearse and yeah, and we do pubs or weddings.
0: We'll, yes, and pubs
1: and we we we'll do the odd uh, you know uh, birthday or wedding event, but usually for people we know because we're not a weddings band. We don't have a load of ABBA songs in our <laughs> repertoire. You know, we're we're you're more likely to hear us doing you know the Buzzcocks and uh, okay. you know um, some 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 rock and roll stuff from. The early 60s through to now
0: okay sounds great sounds like keeps yourself busy yeah so i think there's been some really good insight i think you've shared quite a lot with us steve i think it's been very insightful so thank you for spending the time it's really appreciated um i think people will get a lot from the conversation
1: pleasure nice talking to you